Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to this episode of Intelligence Squared. I'm senior producer Connor Boyle. When writer and musician Eliza Hull was pregnant with her first child, like most parents-to-be, she felt a mix of nerves and excitement. But as a disabled person, she faced added complexities. Would the pregnancy be too hard? Would people judge her? Would she cope with the demands of parenting? On the 24th of May, 2023, Hull came to Intelligence Squared where she discussed the themes of her new anthology, We've Got This, essays by disabled parents about the highs and lows of parenting and the great obstacles that lie in other people's attitudes. To hear the full-length episode of this event and to support our mission to foster honest debate and compelling conversations, head over to intelligencesquared.com slash membership today. Now, over to our host, writer and campaigner, Lucy Webster. Hello, and welcome to this Intelligence Square event. So, welcome, Eliza. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for talking to me tonight. I love your book. I just read it again. Could you talk a little bit to start with about how the book came about, what it is and why you felt it was important? Yeah, so I guess it came about due to my own lived experience. So I have a condition that's called Charcot-Marie Tooth. It's a neurological condition and I've had it since I was five years old. And the way that it affects me is that I walk very differently and I fall over a lot uh, and I have muscle loss and sensation loss in my body. And I guess for a very long time throughout my life, I hid my disability whenever I could, meaning that often I would sit down instead of walk in front of people. And that was because of the ableism that I faced throughout my life and you know, bullying that I faced at school. I was very lucky, though, that I grew up in a family that always had, you know, very high expectations for me and really had not only wanted me to have children, but kind of expected it. They, they really wanted to be grandparents and, you know, wanted our family, I guess, to continue. And that meant that I always just had that idea that I always, you know, wanted to have children. And so I was very shocked when I went to my neurologist who I had been seeing for most of my life and who I really trusted. And he told me that he didn't think that I should become a parent and he didn't think that I'd be able to manage. And he was worried. He thought that I would fall over when I was holding my baby and ultimately said that he didn't think that it was a good idea. 
And I, at the time, had just met my partner that I wanted to start a family with. I was feeling really happy and excited, but that kind of changed everything. I felt a lot of shame. I felt vulnerable and I started to believe him. And I went back to my partner and I said, maybe this is not for us. But luckily he said, you know, that's not true and that we can do this. And that was when I started to look online. All I really did was type into, uh, you know, into the internet, disabled parents. And what I found really surprised me, there was such a lack of representation. And not only that, there was a, a really strong narrative around it being a burden for a child to have a parent with a disability. And so during that time, instead of feeling shame, what I actually ended up feeling really changed me. I felt really fired up and I realised that there is just so many barriers that disabled people face. And so I decided to apply for a scholarship with the ABC, which is um, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It's the equivalent of the BBC. And luckily I was the recipient of the scholarship and the podcast series with the ABC was titled We've Got This. And I was very surprised at how well it went. All the broadcasting channels picked it up and the greatest kind of feedback I had was from non-disabled people saying that the podcast series had changed their mind, that they had held on to views that maybe people with disabilities shouldn't become a parent or can't be a parent. So in the back of my mind, I had always wanted it to be a book. I feel like books are resources that live forever. So I went to a publisher and luckily it got published in Australia and then is now published through Scribe in the UK and the US. And so it features my story and also the stories of 30 disabled people, deaf and disabled parents, where I've interviewed those parents and then some of them have contributed their own writing. And so it's a, it's a huge cross-section of various disabilities and various experiences that really show the complexities, the barriers, but also how as disabled people we make incredible parents because we are set up really to be creative thinkers, problem solvers and adaptable because we live in an inaccessible world and so we've really learnt those skills as we've grown. For me, I mean, since I was five years old, I've really had to learn ways to be adaptable and then brought that into my parenting. So I think that we, we do make great parents ultimately. Oh, yes, we have to agree. You have interviewed and had contributions from people with a variety of different impairments and disabilities. I think reading the book, what was so interesting was how many recurring themes there were despite all the differences. Which of those themes really stood out to you and why do you think they're so common? Mm. I think you're spot on there. I think the most reoccurring theme was medical discrimination. So for me, that is definitely the space that needs the most education. And, you know, often doctors and medical professionals are reaching out, uh, midwives, and saying that this has been used as a resource and as a learning tool. So that's incredible. But yeah, often, you know, for instance, in the book, there are deaf parents that 
are congratulated when their child passes the hearing test and, and, you know, said, oh, congratulations, they're not like you. The blind not given a tour around the hospital so that they then don't know how to get around. And parents with intellectual disability having their, their children taken without being given any education or support. So I think the discrimination in the medical space, but also the ableism when it comes to passing on disability. So a lot of judgment. But I think, I mean, that's a, it's a very complex subject. And for me, I, I do have a 50% chance of passing on my disability. But ultimately, I still am worried about my children having my disability, not because I'm afraid of my disability, but because I know what and world we live in where we face discrimination, where we live in, in a world that still holds disability as a deficit, as something to be feared, and we live in an inaccessible world. So I'm not afraid of them being disabled. I'm afraid of the world that they uh, live in, really, ultimately. And in the end, I decided to have children because, you know, I've lived with my disability all my life and I've had a great life. I've, you know, I've I feel like disability has made me who I am today and I wouldn't change it. And so I chose to have children and I think that the medical professional really needs more education about how to speak about disability, language, but also how to treat disabled people. There is so so much stigma still that needs to shift and change in that space. I think the other things that were really common throughout the book was what I mentioned before, just how the greatest barriers are out in society. It's not what happens inside the home. In fact, because we are disabled, we are incredibly adaptable. And I think the book shows that time and time again, how we adapt and how creative we are in the ways that we adapt, Uh, whether that be using certain adaptive technology to parent you know, cutting off the baby change table so that it's at the right height for somebody with dwarfism, using a a cot that the door goes up and down if you're a wheelchair user, you know, various ways to parent that shows, I guess, that real creative thinking and problem solving and skills inside the home. It's really what happens outside that actually is the problem, the discrimination that we face and the barriers that we face. Yeah, I think that was so stark in the book. No one was really facing challenges because they were disabled, but because of the way that society was reacting to parenting. I'm not a parent, but I know that's true of so many things with disability. Your kids are now, I think, eight and three, is that right? I just love to know how you've navigated those attitudes and kind of not let them get to you or, or let them get to you but then got back up again. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's not always easy, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, you know, even today... There was just a moment where I thought, wow, would it be great to not be tired and not to be not to be in pain? And my son got upset today that I couldn't run with him down the hill. But then I always flip it around and go, well, 
I bring so much to my family. And after that, I was sitting there and we were singing a song together and we do craft activities. And I think we all bring different things to the family. And I think that that's what makes a family wonderful. You know, I might not be able to do some things, but I can do a lot of other things. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. In terms of how I've dealt with society's perception of being a disabled parent, I think, you know, there are a couple of examples that I mention in the book. You know, for instance, there was a time when my daughter fell over and we were walking together and, you know, somebody that I had never met before just kind of remarked, well, why don't you pick her up? Just pick her up. And I said, oh, look, I can't. I can't just pick her up. And just the look that I got, whereas I can actually just move her to the side and we can sit down together, uh, that was fine. You know, I was able to soothe her. Or, you know, a parent where I was in the kindergarten line at the time, it was during COVID and, and the children were having to go one by one. So it was stagnated and staggered rather. <laughs> and I, I overheard uh, this parent speaking to their child and the child said, why does she walk like that? What's wrong with her? And the parent and I had just had a conversation the week before about how I was disabled and a disability advocate and had been working on We've Got This. And she instead said that I'd been in, in a bad accident. And I realised then that people are just afraid to even use the word disability and are so scared to maybe get it wrong so that they, they don't even want to step in and, and, and just say that she has a disability. But it was a, a real telling moment that when we walked into the kinder, my daughter looked up and said to me, Mum, you weren't in an accident, you're disabled. And she just looked at me with a giant smile on her face. And I think that was a, a real moment of realising that she's proud of, of me and she's proud of what I'm doing and she doesn't fear disability because we have disabled people in our home or, you know, my friends have a disability. I have children's books that explore and represent disabled people and it's, it's not stigmatised in, in our home at all. And I think also by having a disabled parent, I've seen just how kind she is and how accepting and inclusive she is in the schoolyard. Um, she's now in year two and the teacher time and time again will say to me what a wonderful child she is within the school ground. And I think that that comes from seeing me and understanding diversity and not fearing it or not stigmatising it and instead celebrating it. So I think that often people will look at what, you know, this idea that you, you know, take away from your children by being disabled. I, I say the opposite. I say that we build really incredibly kind and inclusive children. 
Yeah, I mean, I would think kids actually get it much more than adults. They haven't been conditioned yet to feel differences. And if positive diversity model to them, they will take that in and use that in the rest of their lives, which is why I think your kids' book is also so important and so great. Do you want to talk a little bit about the message there and, and how it's gone? Yeah, the children's book? Yeah. Yeah, so that it is, it's called Come Over to My House. And it's kind of like the, the sister book of We've Got This. Uh, and it is a real a, a representation of a lot of the people that you meet in We've Got This. So, for instance, there's a deaf mother, a blind mother a family, a father and son that have dwarfism, a child that's a wheelchair user and a parent and a child have uh, autism. And inside the home, you get to see how they live and you get invited inside their home and their home is colourful and fun. But it shows that they do live a, a bit differently, but it's nothing to be feared it's nothing to be stigmatised and instead it actually makes for a really fun play date because the child that gets invited into each uh, home ultimately has a wonderful time. So it's been, uh, again, really wonderful to hear families reading this and writing and saying that they didn't really know how to speak about disability in the home and it's been a great conversation starter. And, you know, ultimately... The aim was to, I guess, A, B representation for these families to see a family like yours in a book is, is pretty incredible because of the lack of representation that we've had for so long when it comes to disabled people, but also to see families with disability in such a positive way and, you know, ultimately be a way that parents can have conversations in the home because often children, when they're not educated inside the home and those conversations don't happen they go out in society and they either fear disability so not want to potentially even look at a disabled person because they're scared or sometimes they might ask I guess quite intrusive questions like what happened to you what's wrong with you and this can be hard for disabled people that have to then educate children time and time again. So I think it's best if these conversations do happen inside the home so that our children from a young age realise that diversity is what makes the world wonderful. It's, it's the real world. 20% of the population in Australia um, have a disability and... I think that if we don't have that representation from a really early age, it can be something that is ultimately stigmatised even later in life as children grow up. So interesting to hear you talk about representation because that was really something I wanted to ask you about. Um, we're both writers who write about disability and we know so well how little representation there is and that's even more so when it comes to disabled parenting and I wondered why you think that is but also do you think it's 
Over to you, but, but in general, is it getting better? Hmm. Look, why do I think that is? Um, <clears throat> like when we look at TV or film or, or uh, you know, they're really... I, I actually, when I was thinking about being a parent, a disabled parent, I couldn't find, think of a film that accurately represented a disabled parent. And I think that that's really telling. I think that for too long... We, ha- we haven't had disabled people in writing rooms when it comes, you know, in, as a director of films, in leadership positions, in employment. Uh, you know, a lot of disabled people still live below the poverty line. So I think that those spaces haven't been enabled for disabled people. So I think that's one of the problems. I also think that for too long we've held on to ableist views that uh, disabled people don't have relationships don't have sex, don't have marriages, don't have children, can't parent, shouldn't parent, shouldn't pass their disability on. All of these views are outdated and I think that that's the reason representation hasn't been at a level it should. But I do think that bit by bit this is changing. This is the first book of its kind, which I just cannot believe. I couldn't believe that. I thought, wow, you get given so many parenting books. There are just stacks of parenting books out there. And there wasn't a parenting book about disability. And I think that that was just, again, that like, wow, can't believe this. I think that this book is a way for disabled people to feel empowered to be a parent, whatever way that looks. You know, it might be looking after a niece or a nephew, it might be fostering, it might be adopting. And I think in those particular spaces, there is one writer, Micheline Lee, who speaks about discrimination she faced when she tried to adopt, that she had to almost pretend that she wasn't disabled just so that she could get through to the next stage. And I'm really hoping that this book shifts that because families ultimately what they need is love. Like that's what makes a great family. When parents are dedicated, when parents give love to their children and and a family has love, it doesn't matter how a family, you know, lives when it comes to how we do things and how we adapt and change because of our disability. So I think that, that again, there's just so much ableism in those spaces and I hope that this book reaches adoptive agencies, medical professionals, so that this discrimination stops and and further representation happens. I found that particular essay really powerful because I was recently told by an adoption agency that I wouldn't be allowed to adopt because my care needs and there was no kind of understanding of what care actually is. Like, they heard that I had care, and that was that. And, you know, reading that, OK, different situation, but the similar one reflected back to me was powerful and emotional, and I wondered... As the person putting this book together and doing those interviews, hearing people's experiences, which are often great, but sometimes really tough, what was that experience 
I did an event this week actually where somebody said that they've been trying to foster for so long and the discrimination is stopping them from um, moving forward in in that process and it's that's a like that's a tricky thing to support that person through that because it's it's true it's not like we're there yet we're not there yet and there's still so much work that needs to be done but I am reading and hearing anecdotally that uh, more disabled people are able to adopt, more disabled people are able to foster, even if they have very high care and support needs. So I think I'm starting to see change, but it is hard to hear of the barriers when they're so... uh, they They just don't seem to end and... I think also when I first did the uh, audio series with the ABC, I also wanted to include a person that had been sterilised as a child because people don't realise that disabled people are still being sterilised as children or young people without their consent and that is then affecting them throughout their life forever. And um, so I did include one person that lived in Australia to share her experience of being sterilised as a child and not knowing what was happening to her body, not being told what was happening, and then now not being able to be a parent, having that choice completely taken from them without their consent. And I think it was important to speak about that, and I do mention that in my introduction in the book as well. There are still so many issues and so much ableism and people are still having their choice taken from them, whether that be being sterilised as a young person or having the choice taken from them by authorities, whatever that looks like. So I guess, again, it just makes me realise how much work needs to be done. And I feel like art, theatre, music, you know, whatever that looks like, writing and books can change the world they can change law they can change people's minds and I'm really hoping that this book reaches the people it needs to um, that have been told they can't be a parent have been told they shouldn't be a parent and I guess I hope this empowers them to keep going but I also hope that it changes people's minds that might be you know stepping in the way of uh, disabled people becoming parents that dual purpose is really important because disabled people need to be told by other disabled people that this is possible and, and not only possible but positive and, and can go really well. And, but also, yeah, that, that's only true if society enables it. Uh, I was really conscious of reading your book that it had those two kind of audiences, disabled people and non-disabled people. I know that's something I talk about with my editors as well. And I wonder how you kind of balance those, in a way, competing audiences um, in a way that felt authentic. Mm, Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think ultimately the stories just had to be interesting, like and impactful. And uh, ultimately they're just really 
great human stories that whether you have a disability or not, whether you're a parent or not, they're really interesting and unique and at times funny. And I think that you learn a lot through reading these stories. And, you know, a lot of my non-disabled friends and family and wider audience, I think that it's been really great that they've stepped in and read the book. And, you know, some of the people that have read it and reached out have said that they've never read anything from a disabled person ever and that that they really enjoyed the book. And I was always thinking about that. I was always thinking about them as an audience, you know, just making sure that the stories are really captivating and interesting, which I think all of them are. And then also, you know, being the story that I know that I needed when I had been told that I shouldn't be a parent by my neurologist. If I had read a book like We've Got This, I think that that would have been so timely and incredible. So I was always thinking about that version of myself as the audience as well, so that ultimately it does show that, you know, we've got this and that we we do make great parents and that you, you can be a parent even if you've been told that you can't. I imagine you have, but if you had disabled people getting in touch saying that you've encouraged them or giving them some confidence? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have tried to keep all the stories that have come through, like screenshot them if they've come through on email or on social media. Sometimes people will write to me in tears and to say that they had really doubted themselves. Sometimes family members might even say that they shouldn't be a parent or can't be a parent and that this book has really empowered them. And now some of them have said they're they're trying to have a baby now. So it's really enabled them to step forward in their journey. And I think that that's probably been the most positive feeling, to be honest, you know, one, one of them. And just also disabled parents that have already had children that now are reading the book. Sometimes people have had little babies and are listening to the audio book or reading the book during those first early weeks and months that can feel <laughs> so overwhelming. Just to have a book like this has felt like a friend. So that again has been really, really, really wonderful to get those messages. That's so lovely. I'm sure you were conscious when you were compiling the book that disabled people would be looking to it, as you say, they wouldn't really anything before. I wonder if that made it tricky or if you had to think a lot about the balance between the positive and the realistic negative that come with the territory. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that I just wanted to be honest. I wanted to be accurate. I wanted to show that there are barriers, that there are hard times, that the positives, the humour, and because I knew that it was going to be read by so many disabled people and be that representation that I was seeking. That felt quite heavy, I'm not going to lie. And I do remember there was one particular week or maybe even a month where I didn't sleep because the first version of the book, which went out in Australia, 
the title was slightly different and that is because the podcast series which went with the ABC it was actually we've got this uh parenting with a disability and then when I then turned it into the book I ummed and ahed about whether to use people with disability uh, parents with disability or disabled parents. So using identity first language or person first language. And I think we're talking a couple of years ago now. So I think even now I'm feeling a real push towards identity first language, which I am loving. <laughs> but at the time I was nervous because I wanted to make sure that I was just representing as many people as possible. I didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want people to go hold on, like we use people first language. Like I wanted it to be a representation for as many people as possible. And at that time, that felt very scary, that decision. And now I look back and realise that it was always going to be disabled, <laughs> disabled parents. And what was I thinking? <laughs> but it was just, as I said, years and years ago, that first, that first version of the book when we were working on it. And I still, yeah, went forward and chose disabled parents. The first version was stories by disabled parent. And this version in the UK and the US is essays by disabled parents. And uh, I think more and more we are moving towards identity first language. And I think that that is because disability is a part of who we are. And it's something that ultimately we are pushing up against people's negative assumptions about disability and instead being proud of who we are. And so I think that's why I wanted identity first language. To me, a person with a disability feels like something that you can take on and off. You can just kind of, not, you know, not have a disability some, you know, a day and it's like like an accessory, like a handbag. <laughs> but for me, it's it's part of who I am. I'm a disabled person. I'm a disabled parent. I've got one last question for you before we open up the Q&A. One big question is, um, what advice do you have now for disabled people who are thinking about becoming parents? Uh read this book, <laughs> follow other disabled people online. There are so many social media pages now that are for disabled parents. It's in great community and just to be able to have that connection with others and ask lots of questions is, is a really great start. Trust in your ability to parent, push up against the ableism and discrimination and stigma. And if you want to start a family and that's what you want to do, ultimately don't give up and I think that this book will show you that we as disabled people, as I have mentioned time and time again, we do make great parents and we've got this. And what would you say to your younger self now, worrying about this? <sighs> That's, yeah, I guess I would say stop being afraid of who you are, stop being ashamed of who you are and... Don't listen to neurologists that tell you that you can't be a parent because imagine if I had have listened to him, you know, I wouldn't have had the great family that I have. I've got an eight-year-old daughter and a three-year-old boy and our life is great and, yes, there are 
challenges and there are barriers in society and still discrimination that I face. I still get stopped and prayed for on the street. I still get stared at and laughed at. But ultimately, I'm creating a family that's full of love, that celebrates disability and diversity in the home, and we're thriving. Thanks for listening to this episode of Intelligence Squared. To hear the rest of the conversation, visit intelligencesquared.com slash membership. This event was produced by executive producer Hannah Kay, with editing by executive producer Rowan Slaney. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should be talking about next, who we should have on and what our future debates should be. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencesquared.com. And if you'd like to hear more, attend some of our live events or peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's great minds, then head over to intelligencesquared.com. Thank you.